Hello and welcome to our quarterly podcast on financial transactions and transfer pricing. During this podcast, we have informal discussions with specialists of the PwC network on any new developments. And today, uh, I have a fine panel that will share uh, some new views. So we have Lynn Fay from Singapore, we have Fabien Fontaine of France, and we have Edgar Arns of Mexico. So welcome to uh, all of you. And I myself am David Adur, based in, in Belgium. So um, if we see tax authorities scrutinizing transfer pricing of financial transactions, we see that they use a, a various different uh, legal grounds. Sometimes they refer to the, uh, the TP articles that you have in your income tax codes, sometimes as a direct reference to OECD. Uh, but you also see that quite often uh, specific or general anti-abuse provisions are, are used to attack financial transactions. So if you first go to France, Fabien, what do tax authorities apply most uh, when they scrutinize financial transactions and, and what are the consequences of, of the legal basis? Yeah, thanks, David. That's a, that's a great question. I think that the, the first important thing is that the focus is on debt pricing rather than on debt capacity. Debt capacity is addressed for the time being under specific thin cap rules. Um, if you're looking at debt pricing, it's important to know that those regulations for debt pricing will fall under the anti-avoidance regime rather than under transfer pricing. This is really important because it means that interest deductions will be conditional on providing to the FTA a benchmark that ticks all the FTA's boxes and any even slightest divergence from the FTA debt pricing methods and practices will mechanically trigger a disallowance. And as you would expect, the FTA is very quick to raise even trivial objections in order to reassess. Okay, so basically it's a reversal of the burden of proof if it's not done fully in line with their expectations. Okay, great. Uh, Lynn, um, in, in Singapore, there is uh, new uh, guidance issued uh, in August of this year, so only a couple of months ago. Is it in line with chapter 10? Is it something to which tax authorities will refer to during tax audits? So can you comment a bit on that, please? Sure, thanks, David. Yes, you're right. So the Singapore tax authorities recently issued uh, updated transfer pricing guidance on financial transactions uh, in August this year. Uh, included therein uh, is basically um, you know, a broad statement by them that they have endorsed the OECD guidance on financial transactions specifically pertaining to cash pooling, hedging, financial guarantees, and captive insurance. Besides that as well, they went on to um, set out several economic relevant characteristics that they have stated as useful indicators in assessing whether a purported loan should be regarded as debt for tax purposes vis-a-vis -a, -vis a contribution to equity. Um, the factors that they have set out was whether there's a presence of a fixed repayment date to an obligation to pay interest, third, uh, ability for the recipient of the funds to obtain loans from unrelated lenders, for the rights of the funder, whether the lender has the rights to enforce the payment of principal and interest. Uh, the fifth factor was the level of seniority and subordination. The Singapore tax authorities went on to say that, you know, if a subordination of a loan is below that of general creditors, then they are probably likely to regard this as more equity rather than a debt instrument. And lastly, it's a willingness of an independent party to advance funds under comparable terms and conditions. This comes in um, you know, as, as a new development because 
up to now, um, you know, before this new guidance has been issued, their focus by the IRAs has always been on the interest rate pricing. But with this guidance, it's kind of given a clear indication that the IRAs is looking at it uh, from a broader perspective on the debt capacity and debt equity. Singapore doesn't have thin cap rules, uh, but given this uh, updates, um, you know, as a best practice, uh, we would recommend that debt equity and debt capacity analysis uh, to support the borrower's ability to service the loan uh, be conducted um, you know, in the event of any challenge by the tax authorities in the future. Okay, so in the list that you mentioned, Lynn, some of the items are more, uh, would say, legalistic uh, conditions, like present of fixed uh, repayment date, but some other ones are more economic uh, conditions, like the ability to repay and, and, and the like. So uh, more like a TP debt capacity type of analysis. Okay. Um, anyway, if you go to Mexico, the government has been quite active the last months and years with uh, enacting a lot of new uh, laws. Uh, some of them impacting into company financing, Edgar. Hello, David. Yes, you, you are really right. During the last years, Mexican tax authorities have uh, performed several reforms to our law. Even though they are not 100% directed to transfer pricing issues, they are really related to intercompany debt. So we have like three big examples. They have a, a new rule in which, on top of the thin cap rules, companies can only deduct an amount of interest that does not exceed 30% of an adjusted tax profit. This adjusted tax profit is defined in our law and is not a very straightforward formula, but they have to follow out when, when making their company debt. The other important thing is that we also introduce GAR rules into our legislation, and then you can see that substance is again something very important there and that they're questioning all around. And another one that is very important uh, change is that tax authorities are limiting the adoption of payments made to non-related parties and related parties abroad when they are in what the Mexican tax authorities call a preferred tax regimes. It's important to mention that for Mexico, a preferred tax regime is any country in which the taxpayer pays a um, net income tax rate of less than 22.5% that is a 75% of our income tax rate. So substance is very important and tax authorities are really focusing on these kind of things. Okay. The Mexican returns are quite severe with 22.5% to be considered as a uh, preferred tax regime. I'm just making the link to the, the pillar two discussions uh, where 15% uh, has been uh, taken as a threshold. So uh, there the Mexicans are pretty harsh. Fabien, I can come back to you. Um, you mentioned that the French tax authorities are expecting that you take all the boxes when you want to defend uh, an interest rate. Can you elaborate a bit more on, on what are all these boxes? I know the French authorities have been extremely active and there's a lot of case law, so I, I'm sure you could talk for at least two hours on this. So if you can just give some sound bites. Thanks for your question. Um, I would say that the FTA approach to debt pricing follows a Chapter 10 approach, OECD approach, uh, but there will be a lot of focus on some very specific areas. And the FTA has also developed some quirks in its approach to, to, to debt pricing that you need to be mindful of. One of those quirks is that credit ratings can't follow 
the S&P adjusted group rating approach, whereby you start with the group rating and then you work yourself down to the borrower rating based on its strategic uh, dimension within the group. You really need to run a rating of the borrower subgroup based on its financials and also factoring in market and management dimensions um, as you would with an agency uh, rating methodology. Purely financial methods won't fly, uh, nor will the use of rating tools such as RiskCalc, unfortunately. So favor a bottom-up approach to a top-down one by all means. The second kind of big takeaway here is that the use of bond yields as comparables is uh, pretty dicey stuff. It's conditional on certain factors being met. There is specific Supreme Court case law on this, uh, believe it or not. So just be careful. Um, and if you are in doubt, uh, rather use um, loan interest rates. Another nice um, kind of important information is that bank quotes won't be accepted as a rule, but they can, however, be provided on a corroborative basis to support the external comparables uh, that you would find on, on daily basis. Um, another important uh, factor to be mindful of is that cost of funding approaches are generally rejected um, and negative parental support is something that's unheard of in the French Treasury regulations. So that means you really need to base your debt pricing on external comparables and corroborated as the case may be by bank quotes, but don't rely on the group's external financing conditions as a primary source of market data. Looking at cash pools, one last thing um, is that case law is going to explicitly reference the type of money market comparables uh, that you should be using in order to support deposit remuneration. So you need to be on top of that case law. Now, this could go on and on, but those are the main points I wanted to highlight, David. Thanks, Fabien. What, what I find a bit uh, ironic in, in the whole debate is uh, when I hear your feedback on how the French tax authorities are applying Chapter 10, and I hear other tax authorities applying Chapter 10, uh, the basis is the same, and you would have hoped there would be more consistency, but uh, to the country, I see more inconsistency. And, and like on the cost of funding, so the group's external funding costs, while you just say in France, uh, Fabien, it is not accepted. And, and uh, in the previous podcast, our German colleagues were saying that uh, German tax authorities are expecting uh, that you first look at the external cost of funding of the group and uh, use that as a starting point. So same legal basis, same text, but a totally different interpretation. That's a very good point, David. Um, I think it, it's all down to the actual wording of the anti-avoidance provisions on debt pricing, uh, which require that the borrower evidence what is the rate he could have secured on the local market, regardless of the group context. Okay. Um, there are some hot topics on which the French tax authorities are focusing on during tax audits. Well, that, that's also a good point. Currently, we're having uh, a lot of quite painful, not really enjoyable discussions around negative rates and zero floors for depositors. Uh, for some reason, zero floors just aren't that frequently understood by the French tax administration looking into the remuneration for deposits left by French taxpayers in foreign cash pools. Um, it doesn't help that the FTA has dug up some official statistics for retail deposit rates edited by the French Central Bank, and, and those are, are show positive returns, so that, that's really not helping. Um, uh, a second point, 
is that uh, parental lending benefits in the eyes of the FTA, and that's also something that you can find in the OECD developments, but the FTA has its own take on, on this. Parental lending benefits from some kind of indirect implicit security because of the participation, uh, the capital link between the parent lender and its uh, subsidiary as a borrower. So that means the comparables um, should ideally be secured ones. So if you're looking for external comparables on databases, try to uh, limit yourself to secured ones, even if the intercompany funding itself is performed on an unsecured basis. The last point I would make is that bridge loans are not viewed as relevant comparables in an intercompany context. Uh, the reason for that is the FTA will brush them aside because it considers that in an intercompany context, uh, there aren't any of the information asymmetries you would normally get between third parties uh, looking to put in place bridge financing. And obviously those asymmetries warrant the higher rate of the uh, bridge loan to a certain extent. Okay. I'm a bit surprised how uh, detailed the uh, guidance of the French tax authorities is on, on all these items. But you mentioned you currently have a not so enjoyable discussion with French tax authorities. Uh, are there some recommendations, Fabien, what you could do to uh, stay away from, uh, from those discussions? Yeah, that's a very important point. Uh, there, there's no silver bullet, but I would definitely recommend being on top of your debt pricing documentation and where workable, make sure that it aligns with a bottom up approach. So if you are putting in place a group policy based on cost of funding, based on the adjusted group rating, uh, do try to make sure that it all kind of ties back to something you would get if you were looking at external comparables available in Europe or in France. And if you perform the credit rating of your borrowers on a standalone basis using their consolidated financials. A second word of caution would be around the uh, third party funding that could be concurrently provided to the borrower or to a related party nearby. Uh, do make sure that your intercompany rates are consistent with those third party terms and conditions. Um, and, and also can be reconciled ideally with them through a few simple adjustments. But the last thing I would say is that um, the French tax administration has a habit of making a beeline for the loan contracts and leveraging those contracts whenever it's in its interest to do so. So please make sure that the provisions in the intercompany funding contract terms are consistent with the intercompany funding itself, uh, with the intention around that intercompany funding. We are seeing a lot of awkward discussions uh, with the FTA because the taxpayer has uh, structured his intercompany funding from a contractual viewpoint as something which you know, could warrant a much lower interest rate than the one that is put in place. Uh, simply because the wording or the structure of the arrangements points towards a kind of cash pooling characterization, puts forward safe harbor rates as a default or alternative rate, um, features putability items. All of those technical items can seem a bit trivial, but they could push the FTA uh, to go for a much lower rate than the one you have put in place. Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks. So let me go back to you. Uh, 
in Singapore, uh, you indicated that there is new guidance uh, with uh, very specific rules on the debt capital uh, qualification. Are there some other items on which the Singapore authorities focus on? So you, you also have discussions on, on the actual pricing of loans and the like. The IRIS has also provided more guidance on the effects of group membership, um, that is uh, implicit support. Um, the IRIS preferred way to evaluating uh, the credit rating when doing a interest rate pricing analysis uh, is really evaluating the credit rating of the borrower on a standalone basis. However, in the recent guidance, um, they have set out the point that um, they may consider the credit rating of the borrower based on the overall group credit rating if certain conditions are met. Um, the first being that the credit rating of the borrower, if it's difficult to ascertain, uh, maybe because of unavailability of data, um, that's one point. Uh, second point is that if the relative importance of the borrower, uh, you know, it, it's considered strategically important to the group. Um, and the last point is that if it's an independent lender, will also similarly accept such group credit ratings. Uh, under such situations, uh, the IRS has said that uh, they may consider using the overall group rating uh, for the credit rating of the borrower. In terms of the uh, you know, impact of group membership, uh, Singapore's historically and even currently been you know, a financing hub for most multiple multinational groups uh, where you're seeing numerous inbound and outbound loans. Uh, we are seeing Singapore also having substantive activities in relation to housing regional treasury teams. So the IRAS updated guidelines has really, you know, helped uh, give more clarity in terms of how they view these inbound and outbound loans from a Singapore TP perspective. Okay. So then these regional treasury centers may benefit from a specific uh, tax regime in, in Singapore. Can you shortly explain how the regime works? What are the conditions? What are the consequences? Um, so for treasury centers, um, there is a tax incentive available for uh, financial and treasury centers in Singapore. Um, under this tax incentive, if granted, uh, basically uh, the taxpayer will be able to uh, enjoy a lower tax rate of 8% on qualifying income arising from qualifying services and qualifying activities. Uh, besides uh, a lower tax rate of 8%, the taxpayer will also be able to enjoy certain withholding tax exemptions uh, in terms of any loan interest payments out um, to specific approved network companies. Uh, this tax incentive is administered by um, one of the governing boards, uh, the Economic Development Board of Singapore. Um, they look at business spending uh, as one of the criteria in which they evaluate such um, incentive applications. They also look at headcount, uh, not just by number, but also in terms of the substance of the headcount. So, you know, the, the experience of the headcount here. Uh, they also potentially um, would ask for certain commitments in terms of trading volumes, for example, FX volumes or, or loan volumes. Um, the, the general expectation, of course, uh, before the authorities in Singapore grants any incentive is that the companies must establish substantive activities in Singapore. Uh, and specifically for this FTC incentive, um, they must perform uh, strategic functions. Um, key activities such as control over management of cash and liquidity position, provision of corporate finance advisory services and management for the group 
of their interest rate and FX risk, for example. Um, all that should be kind of seen as being carried out in Singapore. Okay. Um, so to benefit from the regime, uh, you should have the appropriate substance. So as you mentioned, not just number of FTEs, but also what people are actually doing on the ground. Uh, now with an effective tax rate uh, of uh, 8%, that regime might be impacted by the Pillar 2 discussions. So uh, OECD uh, published a, a document, a short document a couple of uh, uh, weeks ago. Normally, the G20 should endorse it by mid-November and maybe provide some more details. And, and the first technical text should be available by the end of this year. So I would expect that the regime of in uh, Singapore will be impacted by this. Uh, did the authorities in Singapore already communicated about this, what they will do about it and the like? Uh, there has been some discussions in parliamentary debates, um, but in terms of what exactly the changes will be, um, the government is following closely the development of uh, the BEPS Pillar 2, but they do want to see what is the finalised, um, you know, agreed Pillar 2 before they decide how this may impact uh, the tax incentive or the tax regime in Singapore in general. Okay, so we should uh, wait first on uh, the technical document on Pillar 2 that should be issued by the end of uh, this year. If you go back to Mexico, Edgar, uh, on what are Mexican tax authorities focusing on in tax audits? Um, so David, for Mexican purposes, you have to consider that in terms of intercompany debt, most of the of the we are we have incoming loans, so we have the borrower part here more than the lender part. So in this case, the municipal tax authorities are really focusing on substance of intercompany debt, and similar to Singapore and other jurisdictions, they are really questioning the ability of of repayment of the loan by the borrower. They are also checking out substance, meaning that you are not lending to a company that is that has a lot of cash. They are really looking for that. And they are also looking for substance in the lender part. That the lender has substance. They, there's a active financial center or, or or the headquarter or something like that. Because if you're remembering, I just mentioned that they are looking for these anti-hybrid situations in which they are looking at the lender part or the company that is receiving the money coming out from Mexico is really paying taxes on, on that side. So substance, they are really questioning that in, in both sides from the borrower ability of payment and from the lender that there is a they have ability of lending and they are they have really personal and uh, assets capital everything there to to make this possible the other thing that tax authorities are questioning even though we don't have very long or or a lot of guidance in our law but we have small guidance that could that from it they can ask everything they want in every intercompany debt they are asking always for the if there are guarantees or not, they're asking for the debt, for the solvency, they're asking for the arms length nature of the interest rate, as well as the relationship of that with the principal amount. When we say the principal amount, meaning that you are not lending, again, it's debt capacity, you are not lending a lot of money to entities that they don't have the ability to pay it. And in general terms, even in our law, it's not fully righted, they are looking for the debt environment. So. Whenever you have uh, these audits, and uh, they, they always be going out from any issue documented in the chapter 10 of the OECD that, that will have an impact. Okay, so Edgar, a lot of transactions on, on that capacity, uh, also on the arms length character of, of uh, all the terms and conditions besides the, the pricing. 
do the Mexican tax authorities also have some clear guidance on the actual testing of interest rates, so on, on benchmarking and the like? They don't have a guidance on that one, but they're always uh, looking forward on, on, on the interest rate in general. And they are saying that that, that, is, a, that is a benchmark. And sometimes when they're looking the market in a whole, they are forgetting the particularity of each loan that you're analyzing. So that's a big risk. And this has been long discussions with them that maybe what they're looking at the market that they believe is a unfair interest rate is not the interest rate for the characteristics of the loan. So again, this is very important in Mexico to document correctly the terms and conditions and that these terms and conditions of the debt, they are in line with the borrower capacities. Okay. Yeah, during this podcast, I find it always interesting to see uh, how three totally different countries uh, have some common attacks or some focus areas for tax authorities and some other items are, are quite different. Um, my, my takeaways of what you just uh, explained is that yeah, the legal basis uh, varies and, and besides the, the traditional TP uh, articles, we see a lot of anti-abuse provisions being applied, uh, which obviously raises the bar higher in terms of evidence uh, that you should uh, provide. On the technical focus of, of the three tax authorities, and now I'm going to overly simplify, but I also see a different focus. Uh, in France, it seems to be a lot on the pricing itself, given the, the various thin capitalization rules you already have. In, in Singapore, Lynn, I think you said that you see a, a shift from the discussion of the pricing as such to the qualification or the debt or, or equity. Um, and, in, and in Mexico, we have some discussion on the pricing, but uh, apparently much more on uh, how you structure the financial transactions, on, on the substance, on the arms and character of the, the terms and conditions. Good. With this, uh, I want to thank uh, the two of you for your uh, interesting views and, and inputs. And for listeners, uh, thanks for uh, tuning in, and I'm looking forward for our next podcast. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.